0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. I'm Pastor Hayden, and joined with me, as always, Pastor Evan. I'm just waiting for the day that I'm not here. It'll be somebody. Yeah. I well, it should be me. I don't know. <laughs> it Hello. It not, you're not leaving. Just tell everyone that. I'm not leaving. Okay. At Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, we are in a series called Preparing for Jesus, and this is part two. I like the title. You like the p- part two? Yeah. Or, the, when I saw the title, I'm like, is that, is that right? In that part, just part two, the second one. All right. And we were looking at Matthew 3, 7 through 12.
1: You want to read that for our life group leaders? Absolutely. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, I baptize you with with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork, fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Well, Pastor Hayden I had to admit when I read that, I said, okay, here we go. So, Pastor Hayden, (laughs) here we go. What was your main point of this sermon? Well, my main point in this sermon
0: was that the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus inaugurates, that he brings forward in his life, death, and resurrection as he poured that Holy Spirit out at Pentecost, that, that spirit that he inaugurates, it doesn't only free us from the coming wrath of God, but also empowers us to bear the necessary fruit that flows from genuine repentance.
1: All right, well, Pastor Hayden, this could be helpful for our life group leaders as we've briefly discussed this week about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a lot of controversies out there, a lot of heretical ones, or even ones within you know, our circle. Of like, what does that really mean? What should our life, lead, life group leaders know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, the Christian life? Yeah, I mean, there's a
0: lot of, uh, I believe, wrong Interpretations of, uh, and I say interpretations, it's always hard, as, as even as you're life group leaders, understanding there's always a difficulty in calling things, whether it's heretic, her, heretical or a wrong interpretation, because there's only one right interpretation of Scripture, although there are many wrong interpretations of Scripture. But as we look at the Holy Spirit, one of the ones, uh, views that you heard me talk about from the pulpit was the second blessing uh, theology. That is, you know, somebody can become a Christian, and they can even be called a carnal Christian. You know, they 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 believe in Christ, but their life doesn't change. And then, at a later time, uh, they are then baptized with the Holy Spirit, so to speak, uh, whether that is the laying on of hands or through another crisis situation in their life, that they are given the second blessing, that then they have the Holy Spirit, and then their life begins to change. Uh, But that's a a wrong view of the Holy Spirit, but one that a a lot, a lot, a lot of people hold, especially uh, whether it's like uh, the Pentecostal or uh, charismatic groups, or even a lot of people who just aren't Christians, who just think that's the way the Holy Spirit works. That's actually a pretty common view of the Holy Spirit in our culture, but Scripture paints a very different picture of the work of the Holy Spirit.
1: All right, real put you on the spot real quick. What about the, bapti- uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was delayed for the Samaritans in the book of Acts?
0: Yeah, I think there's actually three of those situations. I mean, you see in the book of Acts in uh, what, chapter nine, nine, 19? I'm looking up right now. Chapter. I actually have my sermon notes, but I think when Kayla took my, uh, she burned it. She when she plugged my computer in for Exploring Compass, her and Linda, they uh, deleted or they exited out of my sermon notes. But I had those all that stuff in my sermon notes. Maybe I can open recents.
1: Well, as you're as you're looking there are, to, kind to give you context uh, is that during the Acts, there's a couple few times where people are saved and then the apostles show up and they pray for them, and all of right. a sudden the Holy Spirit is poured, poured onto on, them. Acts, and, yeah, sorry, then.
0: Acts 19 is the one you're talking about, but it happens in Pentecost, but then it happens with Peter, uh, in where are they at And when Peter's doing it? Samaria? Yes. And then you see it again in Acts 19 with uh, Paul, or in Ephesus, uh, around Ephesus there in Asia Minor, and you see this happening three times, and... Uh, You only see it three times, and it never happens another time in Scripture. Uh, And the best that that we know and what we genuinely believe is that is the acting out of the prophetic fulfillment of Jesus saying that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so you see a, a threefold ministry there that is going to happen in Jerusalem, which is where Pentecost happened, Judea which to best of my understanding, that's where, uh, is that not where Peter was laid the hands on uh, of those believers? You correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and then, or Samaria. It's Samaria. Samaria, sorry. Jerusalem, Judea, where the Spirit was poured out, where Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. And then in Samaria, you see where Peter is. And then, uh, to the ends of the earth, and so really what you see is you see this pattern of the gospel moving out to different spheres of people, and I guess that's the better way to put it. Uh, Jerusalem and Judea is where the Jews lived, and is, is where the, the epicenter of the ministry of Jesus happened, and you saw the, the Spirit get poured out there in that epicenter, and then the next epicenter is those who were not of the Jews, the Samaritans, right? these people who were, who were Gentiles, and then you see Peter uh, laying hands on, and then that group of people uh, received the Holy Spirit. And then finally, you see these, these in Asia Minor, the, the furthest reaches of, uh, as you're heading to Rome and of the known world, and you have this last group of people who did not have the Holy Spirit, who were then given by apostolic authority the Holy Spirit as they responded to the gospel. And so, really, what you see is the culmination of the prophetic or the apostolic work uh, being done through the apostles as they laid on hands to different people groups uh, and different uh geographical locations in uh, in the known world. And then after that, you don't see it ever happen again. Why? Because the gospel has already gone out to all of the world. And so from there, just like it was uh, in Jerusalem after Pentecost or uh, after uh, Peter had done it there, after that, everyone just came to Christ through responding to the gospel and then receiving the Holy Spirit. In the same way, after you see there in, when, when, in Acts 19, after... Paul had laid his hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, and they began doing miraculous signs. After that, it was as people responded, they were then filled with the Holy Spirit. As this, as God's work had then moved out in concentric circles through that geographical area, that had ceased, only, and it only happened on three occasions. So it's important for us to know that, because people ask, well, right here it says that people uh, were—they uh, received— they received the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands, and that could be before or after. Well, notice also, in all three of these situations, uh, it can be very easily argued, and there is no argument, at least in Acts 19, uh, that they weren't saved until Paul. they had responded and received the Holy Spirit in that moment. And so, anyway, I hope that clear some things better than more than it does to confuse some things
1: and if you have questions please reach out to us because i mean it's acts 8 14 through 17 is the other time it when P- it's peter because the the apostles heard that the um samaritans had received the word of god and mm. responded right and they came out to confirm this and they prayed for them and then the holy spirit came down on them but what was the purpose to confirm whether if they were really saved or not and mm-hmm. god revealed no they are really Samaritans saved. are included. The Samaritans are included. That's why the included. Jerusalem
0: Judea th- is is with, as a Pentecost, and then the Samaritans after that. And guess what happens right after Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. The nations, the nations, and then you see that fulfilled in Paul laying his hands and doing the same thing. It was g- done in Jerusalem and Judea, and then the Samarita, then Samaria. And then to the ends of the world, and so what you see is those three groups of people all receive the Holy Spirit with a laying on of hands, and then after that you never see that again.
1: That was the apostles going out into the world and confirming the gospel. That's right. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, your first point was expect God's coming judgment, and something that I found actually very helpful. It was you know, it's easy for believers to go, oh yeah, that's for them over there. But I loved what you said. No, that this isn't a for the believer and the unbeliever, this point for us to expect God's coming judgment, how is we as life group leaders can explain that this, you know, expect God's coming judgment is for the obviously the unbeliever, but also for the believer as well. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in the sermon it explains
0: it pretty clearly that uh, no one, I mean, we're all going to uh, look at the judgment of God and one in a punitive view and one in a positive view the christians have a positive view of the coming judgment of christ although that no one's going to completely escape the the uh byproduct of the fire there w- we will be refined as by fire uh, there are even some christians is it in uh what what epistle is it in that will escape uh, and into heaven as though through fire do you remember, what let me look it up will as through fire yeah. Uh, well, that's that's the well. That's the other in First Corinthians three fifteen. Any man's work shall be burned. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet, as, so as by fire. That's the first I was talking about earlier today, in in church. They will be saved. Yet, as by fire. Like e- people are going to be very close to all of the judgment of uh, of God, uh, and even though that the Christian himself will be saved. The work uh, of his hand through most of his life, he will suffer loss by that. Now, of course, uh, even when I was talking to a gentleman after service. You know, he he thought that it kind of helped him understand that everyone is going to go through some kind of loss because of the what will be burned up in judgment. But the Christian will not go through that eternal fire. But yet, non-Christians will. But even the works of Christians will also be put through that fire. But really, the positive-negative view is that really one of the important things to take away from here is that when we look at the coming judgment of, of God, we must look at it as uh, we read there in Second Thessalonians, that when he comes on the day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony because the testimony of Christ was believed. That's a positive thing. That's a positive outlook on the judgment. And yes, there is a very punitive, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. But we need to see both sides clearly so that we can have a good biblical worldview.
1: Okay, so Pastor Hayden, we're in our life group, so we're talking to someone in our life group about the coming judgment of God. How can we encourage the believer in in the coming judgment of God in our life groups?
0: tell him that is your that's your vindication it's your vindication that not only are is, is Christ going to be revealed and he's going to be glorified in his saints and you will marvel at him and he's bringing you to himself and he's uh he's setting you up for eternity with him uh, but you're also going to be vindicated in the sense that all of the bad things that have ever happened right all of you know, even think of your own personal life, all of the injustice that's happened to your life, that you haven't sought retribution, uh, and that you, you've you realized that there's a lot of bad things that have happened to you in your life, and there's a lot of wrong things that people have done. When Christ comes back, that's all going to be vindicated. And so not only are you receiving... Um, the reward of a faithful servant at the return of Christ and being with him and marveling at him, you're also going to be vindicated. All the things you believed, all the things that you've lived by, and even the wrong that's been done to you that you have not sought out retribution
1: will all be vindicated in Christ. All right. Now, in turn, how as life group leaders help our life groups, so the believers in our life groups, you know, see the urgency for us when even when we're wronged by culture or wronged by other people to think of the coming judgment in those other people's lives, how can we lead them to say, hey, you need to be compassionate to lead them to Christ, not take your own vengeance?
0: Yeah, I think if that's your view, you have a wrong view of the coming judgment of God. You you shouldn't be looking for—well, I mean, in some way, you could read the Psalms, I guess. They, they kind of look forward to the judgment of the wicked. And I think in one sense that's correct, but I think given the fact of the New Covenant— Uh, And the promise of God to be patient, not wishing anyone should perish, uh, shows us that God's desire, even for the people who are wicked, to come to know Him. And so I think it's a a real need for you when you see the sin of the world and even the injustice done in your life by others, to pray for their salvation uh, and also realizing that you can do that, knowing that you're going to be vindicated. So you don't have to spend your time, mind, heart, equity in vindication, but you can spend your time, heart, and mind, equity in praying and, and... uh, leading them to Christ. Wonderful. Okay.
1: Now, point number two is... Was that really
0: wonderful? <laughs> Go ahead. It was wonderful. It's the Bible. That's good. It's the Bible. It is the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm floating on fumes, life group
1: leaders, so appreciate your... Point number uh, two for you, Pastor Hayden, yes. and for us, is for to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. How can we help our life groups understand this? This is a big thing that could probably derail the conversation or... Uh, go off off course yeah. into a rabbit hole. What do our life groups need to know, and how can we clearly and uh, confidently uh, lead this?
0: Yeah, I think stay within the scope of your life group questions, of your application questions. If you stay in scope of those life group questions, you're going to you're going to stay within the framework. Of, uh, of the sermon, and uh, you know, and I'll be the first to admit that there is no way that you're going to be able to articulate all of the work of the Holy Spirit in a 50-minute sermon. It's impossible. Uh, but I do believe that we, ha- we have a thorough uh, uh, exposition of the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, in sanctification, and in judgment. And if you can stay within those areas, salvation, sanctification, and judgment, and understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in those particular areas, you're going to do a great job leading your group. Nice and simple. That was way more concise than my previous
1: <laughs> explanation. <laughs> I want to leave it at that. <laughs> All right, point number three was for uh, us to bear good fruit as a necessary byproduct of of your faith. I didn't realize what my voice is about to crack right oh, there. Oh, man. But hey, <laughs> I'm still growing up. <laughs> All right. Now, I have a couple questions in mind. Yes. Um How can we address maybe the objection of, well, isn't that just helping the non-Christian just trying to clench their eyes and bite their teeth and just go, bear good fruit? How can we, as life group leaders, say, no, that's not what we're talking about?
0: Well, just like in my illustration, when I don't care how much those roosters gritted their teeth and... Uh, flap their wings, they were never going to lay an egg. It was not going to happen because that's not their identity. It's not who they are. And so it's, I mean, in one way, it's liberating to be able as a Christian to say, you can't bear good fruit. Now, I'm not saying that you, there's not things that you can do that are good, but you're not going to be a, you're not going to be a, a source that people look at and say, that person's just bearing good fruit just because you do a good thing doesn't mean you're bearing good fruit. That means that th- there is something good that you have done, but you are not a fruit-bearing tree or you're not a fruit-bearing Christian. You know, I, be, I not that this would ever happen, but it'd be like going to an apple tree and one, and, and every once in a while there's an apple on that tree. You'd be like, how'd that get there? Well, glory be to God. You know, when, when a non-Christian does something great, glory be to God. But that's just not their identity. did not who they are. You know, it's in the same way that you may sin uh, every once in a while, you may see yourself falling short, and you look at that list in Galatians 5, saying, "Oh, okay, ooh, yeah, I, phew, idolatry, strife, jealousy." For, oh, you know. But like every once in a while, I go by a, a tree bearing good fruit, and I see a rotten, I see a rotten apple on there, and I'm like, "Well, that's not the identity of that tree. It just had a rotten apple on it." It's the same
1: concept, I believe. All right, now this is almost giving our life group leaders a loaded gun, and I want them to be able to know how to use it. And a h- lot of uh, a lot of aggressive statements.
0: Hey, let's give them a let's give them a nice,
1: wonderful, uh, loaded burrito. <laughs> no, it doesn't work with this illustration. No, I'm okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, giving him a loaded gun in this sense, how can we train and help our life group leaders counsel people in our life groups about? The good fruit in their lives. You might have people because of baptisms are you know can, are uh, have happened recently are coming up. People sharing their testimonies and they're starting to question: Do I really have good fruit? How can we slowly, patiently, graciously walk with them to help them understand if they are a tree that bears good fruit or just happens to have an apple every once in a while?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a hard question that, uh, that we do need to wrestle and answer. And I think with great compassion and great carefulness as a life group leader is how you ought to have this conversation. Uh, for instance, there may be a few reasons why a genuine Christian may lack uh, a particular amount of good fruit. I even think uh, when you look in the, is it the Matthew 7 passage, it talks about good fruit. Uh, it says that, is it Matthew 7? Just keep talking. Uh, th- bear 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Matthew fold. 13. Matthew 13. Uh, there's different amounts of fruit that can be born. Now, it is true in one sense that a Christian, no matter where they are, are going to bear good fruit. But there may be a lot of other bad fruit, so to speak, that is that is mixed in with a lot of that good fruit. And some of that's going to happen because of things like this. Lack of discipleship. Maybe they've come from a... A bad, a bad, uh, a bad family situation. Maybe they've come from uh, maybe an unhealthy church environment, uh, and when they come here, they hear a lot of this, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." And then, as you plant them in this the soil of a good Bible teaching, is what we hope that people would say about us. Good Bible teaching. You notice that they're producing a lot of good fruit, and that bad fruit. As they're walking by the Spirit, they're being led away from, and they're forsaking it. So that's just a good example of like being careful, because just because people aren't bearing— you see bad fruit in people's lives, and not as much good fruit as you want to see doesn't necessarily mean they're not saved. Uh, but on the other hand, you got to be gentle and careful and kind and patient, just like the fruits of the Spirit here. Even when you're talking to people who aren't saved, and you're pretty confident that they're not because they don't bear fruit— and and that's a great thing to say. Go let's let's see what the Bible says. Says it's one of the hardest things, and I know you struggle with this too, life group leaders. Uh, it's one thing when people ask you questions to like answer their question or spout out a Bible verse. It's another thing to say, well, let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about that. It's very important that when you're having these hard conversations, and I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone else, it's oftentimes we're we're quick to speak and we're quick to throw out a verse, but we're not slow enough to actually open up the Bible and point people to. A good verse that that shows him that God is speaking on this situation, not you or me.
1: In life, Group leaders, here's uh, two passages to encourage you to help us. Actually, three passages. One, James one nineteen, be slow to speak, but quick. To, you know, be quick to hear and slow to speak, right. um, and slow to anger, and slow to anger, um, and actually having the heart of the Word of God be in you and to be a doer of that. Uh, think of these verses real quick. Proverbs eighteen thirteen 13 and Proverbs 18, 15. 18, 13 says, The one who speaks before he hears, it is, it is his own folly and shame. Meaning if we're kind of quick to give an answer to the question without realizing the question being presented is probably not the real issue or real question mm. underneath it. We have to be hearers, and that's where Proverbs eighteen fifteen talks about, the wise acquire knowledge and the ear of the wise seek knowledge. And so before even giving the quick answer, it's asking more questions and trying to hear where the person's really coming from and then actually be able to answer the true question that might be hidden down in their heart. And a way to go about this when you're answering is this. you know, All of us should write down 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 26. 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 26. I'm gonna jump to verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may become may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after ca- after being captured by him to do his will. So, what we need to do is to make sure we're kind, able to teach, patient in it, correcting with gentleness, and trusting God with the results. Good, good word. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, this podcast is getting better as it goes. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, go ahead. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, anything else on the application questions that we need to be prepared for for our life groups this week?
0: I think if you guys stay within the framework of these application questions, I think you have a really really good uh yeah, a really good life group this week.
1: All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, what are some resources that may be helpful for us to know about holiness or the Holy Spirit? Yeah, one book that I'm reading that we're probably going to
0: uh make our pastor's pick, and over the next uh, couple of months is The Hole in Our Holiness by Kevin DeYoung, a really good book that talks about the fact that God does want you to live holy, and he's given you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. It's a really good book. I think charitable. I think uh, it's helpful. It's uh, convicting, all those things. It'd be a good book for you to have on your shelf and encourage your life group to have as well. And what is the other resource? Uh, Delighting in the Trinity. And I'll be honest with great integrity that I haven't read this book, but you were assigned this book in your uh, Trinitarian class you took. Uh,
1: yes, it was assigned that I didn't finish.
0: <laughs> but but, <laughs> but I, 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 I have read the book of the man who taught your class, Bruce Ware. Yes. And Bruce Ware recommends this. And I've read B- Bruce Ware's book. And I could give you Bruce Ware's, but it's uh, hmm, a little more...
1: Academic, yeah, and so I think that this is a good one. I'll, I'll give you the this one was recommended by you know, to me by both uh, Pastor Mark of sending church yeah. and Pastor Mike of sending church so that really help you understand the Trinity in a delightful way.
0: So Bruce Ware recommends this, but there's also his book called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit: Relationships, Roles, and Relevance. That's a book that I'm reading on Bruce Ware. If you want one that I could recommend, and I've that I'm reading, but I also know that he would recommend. Uh,
1: so this recommendation comes from Pastors of Ascending Church, Gliding yeah. in the Trinity by Michael Reese And and Bruce Ware himself. And Bruce Ware says it so okay. too. Okay. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, is there anything on the training spectrum of things that our life group leaders need to know? I
0: think we did a good training with him a few minutes ago, believe it or not. But uh, really, just remember, guys, your assignment is due today. Uh, that is Sunday, January 22nd. And so uh, do your best uh, to get it in so that we can make sure that we have all of your assignments. And we love going through these questions with you guys. It's helping us uh, even look at future assignments and future trainings uh, when it comes to the the life group uh, leader document. Uh, and I think that's super helpful. So make sure you have, uh, complete your assignment today. Let's get that in, and that way we both get our commitment forms, our statements, and... Uh, the questions. I think it's uh, great. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope it's been challenging, but also fruitful. And I hope and, uh, that, I trust it's not too
1: cumbersome for you to complete. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, we have several announcements. What's happening here at Compass Bible Church?
0: Women's Fellowship, January 28th at 9 a.m. This Saturday. This Saturday. Wow, the month is flying by. Prayer night the next day from 5 to 6 p.m. Sunday, January 29th. Really looking forward to getting together and exercising our fifth distinctive. And then serve team training on February 5th from 1 to 3. What should we expect at that one? We are going to learn about how to serve for the glory of God. We're going to learn some important things coming up at Compass over the next year and how we can all be a part of that for His glory. And then we have our D now, our discipleship now for our students. On February 17th through the 19th, registration is open. And the pricing is this. First two students in the family are $60 each. Each additional student is $45 a piece. This price is valid until February 8th. After February 8th, all student pricing will be $75 a student. I felt like I was one of those people. If you
1: need to, you know, <laughs> the fine, you know, fine uh, wording. Yeah, fine print. Fine print. If you need to re-listen to that, just rewind Rewind 15 it, seconds. slow it down.
0: Or, and if you have people who can't afford it, please let us know. We aren't. We do not want any student to not be able to afford disciple. Now, we will make sure they can make it. All right. Thank you, life group leaders. We love you. We are looking forward to a great week of ministry.